everybody, thanks for tuning in. If you're like me, you're probably pretty excited that hunting season is finally here. We're in North Dakota right now hunting bucks. We've been pretty close a couple times and I think if we keep chipping away at it here, we're eventually gonna get an opportunity. But I'm also really excited about elk hunting. We're currently posting our elk series from last year and we're just excited to show you guys those videos. But because this time of year I'm always thinking about elk hunting, I decided to talk with my friend Cody Kellum from Born and Raised about solo calling. A couple weeks ago, they actually posted a bunch of videos on their channel for elk week. And there was just a whole bunch of really cool information on there that could help a new elk hunter. No matter how many people you hunt with, I think the calling tactics that Cody talks about in this episode are just gonna be really helpful to everybody, I think. So before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you guys know that we've partnered with the social media platform, Go Wild, to help combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social media community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, and huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out, and all you gotta do is visit downloadgowild.com to get started. Also, now that hunting season is here, I wanted to give you guys a little tip that is brought to you by our friends over at Vortex. Back when I first started hunting out west, whether that was for whitetails, muleys, or elk, I wasn't carrying a spotting scope. Now, I won't leave the truck without a spotting scope. So, there's a lot of benefits to having a spotting scope when you're out in the field. First off, it might help you find animals that you might not know of otherwise. Also, it helps me tell if a buck that I'm looking at or a bull is a shooter or not. It also helps me figure out exactly where animals are, especially once they're bedded. So there's just been so many times that having a spotting scope has helped me out that I just choose to always have it with me now. Even when I'm going into the backcountry elk hunting and I've got camp on my back, I just deal with the extra weight and carry the spotting scope and little tripod with me. It's definitely helped me out and I think what's awesome about Vortex is they have an awesome warranty. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, I need to pull the trigger on a spotting scope, or if you just need new optics in general, if you go over to eurooptic.com and use the code THP10, we can help save you 10% off of Vortex Optics on that Eurooptic website. If you want to do it the easy way too, you can just check the description of this podcast and there'll be a link down there as well. As far as Vortex Optics themselves go, I love them. And the most important thing to me is that they have an awesome warranty. No matter what the cause is, if something happens to your optics and they need to be fixed, Vortex will either fix or replace whatever optic broke for you. To me, that's super important and that's why I use Vortex Optics. All right, guys, let's get Cody on the line and start talking elk calling. So last night I was on doing my, you know, YouTube and before bed and come across a newborn and raised video and I see that it's about solo calling and I was like, I know everything about this. So I got no reason to watch this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, I better watch this and, and see, you know, what kind of, what kind of cool tips that Cody's got. And I thought the whole video was sweet. Woke up this morning and I sent you the text and I was like, let's let's just podcast let's, about let's this. podcast about it yeah. yeah no it was cool like that video in particular i'm like we always think about team calling because that's more what we've been doing over the last years but for the longest time like when we first picked up a camera it was 
always solo calling. It was like whoever, you know, I mean, it's like when you guys go in the deer woods, it's just you and camera guy. Yep. That's how we did elk. Like, and the guy, and there was always the rules with the guy with the camera, no calls, no binoculars, just a camera, camera gear only. Mm-hmm. Like, cause otherwise it's like, Oh, binoculars. Oh, I should be <laughs> filming. No, I'm looking through binoculars, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to call. Yeah. No, drop the camera down. Like, yep. it's all about the footage. So, um, we had like a lot more experience, honestly, than what I really put in connection. So I'm like, let's do a video. Cause it was a number one question asked, like hands down over the last while. It's like, cool, this is awesome, but I hunt solo, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, there's so many things that apply the same, but the only difference is where it comes down as a setup. Yeah. And like, I, I would say, even if you do have a hunting partner, you know, maybe some days you have a caller, maybe some days you don't. I mean, having both in your toolbox, I guess, is important. Like, Absolutely. Nothing's necessarily exclusive. And, like, going into this season, there's going to definitely be some situations where we're in that, you know, in that exact situation. Some days we're going to have multiple people, but throughout the season we got guys coming and going. There's going to be hunts where I know it's just like just Grant and I. So we're going to be that hunter cameraman. So, you know, it's going to be different than what we've had in the past because up to this point, we've always had that guy drop back. Designated call. Yeah. And sometimes multiple people like maybe there's been times where we get a guy back bugling and a guy, another guy just solely raking. You know, which makes, you know, makes a big difference compared to when you're moving in alone on an elk. But I think there's advantages to it. There's some disadvantages. And, you know, kind of that list of tips that you had in that video last night is kind of like what I want to talk about and then maybe break down um, more specific situations that you have like memories of where you're talking about doing some of these certain things. So like, yeah. Why don't you kind of just go through that list of, of things that you feel like are important when you're calling to elk by yourself? So I, like I said, uh, the overall concept is, is a lot of the same things. Like you're, you're going to locate, you're going to move in and where it really breaks down from solo to team calling is going to be how you set up. And, um, you know, usually elk hunting, like I don't mind making noise. Well, when you're solo, like you make noise from where your last call and it's like placing Turkey. Right. I mean, there's, but it's the opposite. Instead of out in front of you, you're placing behind you where that last place was. And then you're sneaking into position to shoot from to where the most critical point, like where I think people like, Oh, that bull hung up at 80 yards, hundred yards. Well, that's because he can see where that sound came from. And he's looking for like, they're going to use their ears and then they're going to use their eyes and they're looking for that physical confirmation that, yep, there's an elk there. That's a bull. It's going to be, you know, let's go fight or it's a cow. I'm going to go breed that cow. And when they don't have that confirmation, that's when it's like hackles up, like, wait a second. Did I get tricked here by Zach? Cause <laughs> not feeling good about it. And so I think number one is you have to use the terrain in that setup mm-hmm. and use, you know, it's like, Solo, in my opinion, solo calling is better in thick terrain because now all of a sudden that distance of visual is shorter. 
So you, you can apply that. It's like you may you may be able to call from your same exact spot because he's got to come cover and he's going to break cover at 20 yards and you're going to have that opportunity. Um, if it's op- more open like desert country, you have to use those micro terrain features to to make that happen. But it's it's definitely going to be challenging that, you know, it's like when they can see 200 yards you might have to call, get them fired up, and then you're going to go into spot and stock sneak mode, you know, to get them killed. Um, so setup's critical. So you have to look at those little micro terrain, um, timber, brush, whatever it is, to use it to your advantage. So you're always going to play, like, look at the wind and uh, anticipate the movements based on that. Like, most elk are coming on a straight line. Like, they're not circling for wind until that, like, the doubt pops in their mind. So you always got to anticipate like straight line. If the wind is blowing, you know, off your right side, you're never going to go, um, upwind. You're going to, you know, you want to get that downwind type circle to where if he does start to circle, you have that opportunity. Um, and like, if you can get set up, like right on the lip of a finger ridge, just on the backside of that, where he's got to come all the way up to get that. If you call from the face of that, he can look up there chances are he's going to stop at that point. But if you can get that sound off the backside, he's got to break that terrain from that last point, you slip up and all of a sudden you can shoot him 10, 15 yards over that ridge or whatever it is game over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think a lot of like, I would say this is where like a guy Turkey hunting that has a lot of experience calling and setting up on a gobbler and is good at that. You can apply it straight to the elk side of life. I think that's um, using that terrain is is critical in the setup. Yeah. Um, and and that, that's, yeah, it goes from hunting Rockies to Rosies to timber to, you know, all the stuff. So when one thing that I think of a lot is how much of a difference open versus thick makes, because like you said, if you're in open country, you have to use that terrain. But if you've got like a wall of pines and there's anything from like two foot pines to, you know, hundred foot pines and it's just like, you know, you're looking at branches it, everywhere. Yeah. He has to come close enough to see you. And that, you know, if you've got the wind in your favor and you definitely, you know, know which way that wind is and you can anticipate if he does make that little bit of um, move down wind, if you can anticipate that. You can really manipulate them with that cover, but like there's been a lot of situations even in um, like the stuff that I've hunted before where maybe at one point it was pretty thick timber, but a lot of stuff's dead now, and now it's like starting to really open up. A lot of things have fallen. It's like you really have to be particular about where you're going to start your calling sequence from. You don't want to call too far away because it's like, man, he's just going to run up to to that like hill hundred yards away, be able to look down in here. And while he's not necessarily going to see us, he's also not going to see a cow see or a elk. bull or yep. whatever I'm trying to be. Yep. So I think that, you know, in an ideal situation, you've got thick, you've got some sort of thick, like you said, that's, that's where it's going to be easier. Like the one, the one that I shot in 2019, that's, that's what helped that scene. Like I remember we were moving yep. through, he was bugling and responding to our calls, but when he made his last, like, I guess, lo- uh, bugle that allowed us to locate exactly where he was, it was really easy to just say, let's get right to that spot because he cannot see us 
you know, coming at him and, yep. and he has to come like up this, you know, around the head of this ditch and be at least, you know, 30 yards or closer before he's ever going to see this spot. And that's, that's hundred percent why it worked. And the, the thick vegetation in that particular example was totally what helped us. But the other thing that you and said that, is the turkey yeah, I mean, thing. Th- yeah. Think about, um, I remember this morning in particular was where we got uh, shut down the night before thunder and lightning. Zach was still, Sando was still there. Mm-hmm. So we set up camp next morning. We broke camp. We're moving through. We got this bull fired up down below us. And we were like, kind of the way that terrain was, is like, he was on the left side of the draw. We were on the right side. And if I would have stayed where we were at, when we first heard him, the bull would have stood across the draw 80 yards. And I instantly, and this is where team calling like that, that case, I dropped back 80 yards to where he had to come through the draw and get up on that lip to where the sound, and he came like close to you guys, right? He was like 10, 10, 12 yards or something. Now that, that's an example. If I could go back in time and change the mistake that I believe that I made in that situation was there's, there's so many times in hunting where I feel like, your initial instinct is forward, forward, forward. Like I got to go forward. That particular situation, we were too close to the lip. Like because yep. we were too close to that, like he bugled, he was way closer than we thought he was or than the last time he had let us know where he was. He had cut so much distance. All of a sudden we're like, oh, damn, like this thing's right on top of us. So we, I think we just froze. I think Ted and I just froze, which was a mistake right. because when he came that close, he was close enough to see us pretty well. We didn't have great cover. And because his vitals were blocked, that was, that was the final straw. Game over. Right. Had we just been another 10 yards back, had that all happened and I, you know, had the enough, uh, wits about me at the time to say, Hey, let's break. Like, okay. It's an intense moment. Take a deep breath where do we need to be? If I had looked backwards, I remember exactly how it set up. There was some small pines that we could have just tucked into 10 yards further back. And I think that would have given us enough of a buffer where he was still an easy bow range. He's still only 20 yards away, 25 right. at the most. But yeah. now we've got cover and we've got a little bit of a buffer to where he'll actually come all the way up there without seeing us and, you know, putting the brakes on. And yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, no, I look at that one a lot and like, that's a, that particular situation is one that um, I learned a lot from, from so many different hunting situations. And, and I value that one as much as it hurts. I value that one a lot. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, and the, the next step in, in solo calling, kind of what I is playing that hide and seek scenario is like, you want them to give a general zone of where they think you're at, but then, you know, you gotta, and, and you have to be quiet. I think this is one like, we're used to breaking sticks and making lots of noise and all that. But it's like once you break out of the caller mode and you go into shooter and you're going to separate the distance from where you last called is you got to sneak, you got to move fast, but you got to be quiet. Cause it's like, if he hears a stick break now, all of a sudden that is like, okay, that's the spot that elk's at. And then, you know, you, you put that buffer back in play mm-hmm. and he's going to be like, okay, well I can see where that stick came from. I don't see an elk. And now he's going to stand there at 70 yards and look over there like, you know, where instead you could have got him to 30 yards or 40 yards or something like that. So, and, and you have to be patient. Like, 
I think the critical thing, the challenging, especially less experience is like, at what point do you shut up, shut up and when he is coming and knowing when to make that move and be like, cause honestly, we all love hearing a bull scream. Like that's what you're doing. So you're like, you want to just keep calling cause he's answering every single time. And then next thing you know, you've waited too long and you can't make that move. So it's like, find the right time, know that he's making the ground. You hear him coming. You might even see him shut up, slip up that 20 yards, get to that lip, you know, or just over the lip where you can get a shot across the draw where he, you know, in, you, you just got to like take all the surroundings, understand what it is. And when you start calling, like have a mental plan. Okay. I'm going to get to that tree, get to that clump of trees, this little lip, and I'm going to set up right there. So you go through that whole sequence calling, he's fired up, he's coming, I'm shutting up, I'm moving, I'm going to stand here and wait patiently Mm -hmm. and let that curiosity, you know, get him killed. It's very similar to um, like a time when I would be still hunting, looking for deer, like in thick cover, for example. It's like you're always planning that next move. Like let's say we're really anticipating deer to be anywhere from, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 yards to 150 yards through this little section. Every time we decide to make a move, we've already got a spot picked out. That's what Jake and I did last year when he shot a buck in Iowa. We were just taking it one little step at a time. We actually knew the buck was was up there. We had located him from the boat, and then we saw him moving around in front of us just out of range, and he went over the hill. So we started to move towards him, and every time we'd advance, we were picking the spot, and we were talking. Like We would get together, he would move, then I would move. He would move, then I would move. And because of that, we were able to catch that buck, catch him coming back, because he he, he yep. must have heard us and thought we were another Here deer. Yeah. No, that was it's interesting. Like when Steve Speck and I were blacktail hunting, it was almost always the back guy that spotted the deer mm-hmm. because like the front guys like focused on how to get through here. The other guy's stationary while he's making that movement. And all of a sudden you're like, pop, 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 right there, you know, yeah. like same deal. They think they hear it, heard a deer walking in the leaves or whatever else. And here they're cruising up mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. No, and you, so, and you used like a stick breaking as an example of where an elk now believes that that's the new calling location like that's where the 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 elk is now in in that animal uh, yeah possibly a, a cow or another animal maybe there there's still that's a that's a confirmation that there's an elk there whether okay. it's the bull part of the herd like hurt i think the big difference deer and elk is they're herd animals they're not you know mm-hmm. so it's like there's a bubble that's bigger from that sound generally where they're going to see other elk. Mm-hmm. So you got to play that into the, the picture of how, how it all comes together. Yep. Um, and one yeah. thing that we always talk about when we're turkey hunting is, is like we always want to be cautious of him popping up and looking at the spot. It's the same thing when you break that stick as you're, you know, you call for an elk, you make that little advance 10, 20 yards or whatever to get to that next spot. If you do that silently, then he's hopefully not looking at that spot. He's hopefully looking where you had called from. Same thing with a turkey. If you call from a spot and then you move up to set up or maybe you call and then you drop back, it's keeping the eyes off of your location. And, you know, whether it's hang up or it's going to 
it's going to cause the elk to hang up or even um, this is another factor is having his attention on you when you make the shot can make him move a lot, right? If he's locked on you. Yep, absolutely. And they move, I mean, they can at 30 yards in an arrow, like that can be 10, 12 inches. That could be spine. It could be shoulder blade. There's like guts, like a lot of factors Mm -hmm. where he comes in looking at a spot over here and you're over here to your right. You got a broadside shot. He has no, you know, comes through and he's like, what just happened? You call, stop. He falls over dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. So what, yeah. so hide, hide and seek. Is there anything to add with that? Um, anything specifically that comes, you to know, mind? it's just like, it, it's getting that curiosity raised and this, and, and it can go to like this, this tactic, the hide and seek can be, um, if you're announced, if you're going through a scenario, especially this seems like early season or raghorns, you might have a herd bull screaming. There could be rag bulls that are like, I'm going to go check this out. And it's like, when you shut down and quit calling, like be on guard that something could just slip in unannounced and you don't know what's going on. So you got to be ready, be in a good position. Don't be standing in the open, standing in the sun, like be set up anticipating like this could happen, you know, and then you might have to make shifts, but, like I I'm a firm believer is like go quiet. And a lot of times that's when they're like, all right, I got to go check out what this was. Like maybe he's not coming out of aggression, but he's coming out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So you, you gotta, you just have to always be ready. Cause I don't know how many times like things shut up, like the caller comes up to you and you're like reliving what's going on. All of a sudden <laughs> blow the elk blows up. Cause like he, he shut up. You thought it was game over. He came sneaking in, mm-hmm. like give it that 15 minutes. 20 minutes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, if, if things go. And then the other thing is like volume and calling direction, I think is critical in this. Um, and you always like my gut is always to be as loud as possible. Like you can blow a bugle as loud as you can. You're still not as loud as a bull, generally speaking, but you can, and the elk will do this too. Like they'll, they'll bugle quiet. And you're like, I thought that was a hundred yards and he was 40 yards or closer. Like they, they are very good at this. So, um, instead of calling always at them, like at that last moment when you're set up, like call back, call down, muffle the end of the bugle with your, like, especially a gloved hand works better than just a a hand, but with, with your hand over the end of the bugle, Mm -hmm. like blowing back down, all of a sudden it goes from like where that elk, he thinks it could be another 30, 40 yards. So if you, if you're, especially if you're stuck and you can't advance, from where you're at, but that bull's coming, but you need like the last little few notes to make him like, okay, I'm going to come over there, choke it down, blow soft, um, and direct it, direct it away from where exactly you're at. So it's not like pinpointing, like where he can see that sound. It's like you're blowing back against some trees, you know, 20 yards to the right, choke down, um, give that illusion that that sound is further. And the other one is like in, this happened in 20 or 2013 Colorado, the, the big bull that I killed. Mm-hmm. He was up on this bench and he was going and I knew that if we didn't move, he was going to come up to that lip and look down at us and get us pinned. And so it was like, I, that's when Trent and I'm like, we got to make a move. He's, he's moved a hundred yards in, in a short amount of time. We were running out of time. So we got up on that lip and let him come across to us. 
Um, but we had to get up on that lip. If we would have got just to the edge, like bef- the break of that lip, he would have been able to look down there and been like, I don't see an elk. Even though it was thick, like you probably would have been 50, 60 yards, but the terrain break would have, you know, he's like, he wouldn't have come to the edge, I don't think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's like in that sneaking position. And then the other, like, against in this, we've done it, but our success rate is a little bit lower is like the ram bush where it's like you're literally running at them you you know it's like and you got to be you're you're trying to maybe you come to a a break he's in the clear on the other side you're on a clear on the other side but there's a wall that that elk is not coming through he's not Mm -hmm. comfortable it's like you're you you're going to be the barrier you're breaking stuff you're bugling you're making all sorts of noise but you have to be like on your toes when you get to that edge that that bull is still standing there in range to get a shot mm-hmm. um nine times out of ten it doesn't work for us but it's one out of ten is better than zero yeah so. yeah for sure i think that um i think that like the timing of these things that you've been talking about is also um important obviously like you said yeah. you said in that last example you felt like you were running out of time but I always think like if he bugles, like you know right now, and if you don't hesitate, that like it's gonna be really hard for him to beat you to a spot if you know exactly where he is. So for example, if he responds and he's still 150 yards away, just like he was last time, if you go right now, then and don't hesitate, then there's no chance that he's gonna cut. I, I shouldn't say no chance, but the, the yeah, odds go right. down that he's going to cut a bunch of distance and like beat you to that spot. Correct. I think that's really um, important in like turkey hunting. I feel like I use that a lot. Um, obviously, just I, I and all this I reference turkeys just because um, I feel Dude, like I, have I, I more experience I there. Like the more the more turkey stuff that I'm doing there is a lot of similarities on calling and setup mm-hmm. on a gobbler. Um, then, then it, I think a lot of people give it credit to Cause mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. You got a 20 pound bird, 19 pound bird versus a 600 pound elk. Like, yeah, they're totally different. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Terrain's totally different for the most part, but how you apply to get a, bo- a gobbler to come in and how, you know, and you're still somewhat like, Elk will definitely, I think, like genetically, they will, they will seek cows more than like a tom is where it's just going to gobble and want you to come to them. Mm-hmm. But there's also standpoints where that bull's like content with his whole herd. It's like, no, you got to come here. You know, I'm not leaving these cows. You got to come fight me, or you know, I'm gonna. Co- you got to come to me to breed. So there's on that side of it um, some similarities. The other thing too, like um, when they're raking that's when you can make some distance in a hurry. Like if you've got an open, like you get to a point where it's like, man, he's going to pick us off. And this is where you got to, you got to be cautious of other animals in the herd. But even then, like you might get busted by a cow. She might take off, might take the whole herd. It may not like, but if that bull's raking, like you can make some serious gains in distance. Steve did that in, um, Arizona in 2020. This bull was like, we stayed way back. Trevor and I, granted, this is team calling, right? Sure. We kept the bull going, and they snuck in because the bull was just – he was bugling from the same spot. You could hear him raking, and they gained 200 yards while he was raking, Jeez. you know? And then, um, yeah, 
So which, which you can, I mean, if you haven't heard that yet, if you haven't heard a bull raking, it sounds like there's a tornado happening, you know, where right. the elk yeah. is like it, you know, when it's happening, cause all of a sudden it's like, what's like, it, it, it's honestly hard to even imagine the power that it sounds like is coming from that spot. It's just insane. Like everything's yeah. snapping, breaking. So like when you, if you haven't heard it yet, you can, for one, probably find it in uh, a video, uh, definitely a born and raised video. And like, even in the one that I shot, you could hear him raking really well. And it's like, if you, if you take advantage of that moment, like you could definitely cut some ground, especially if you've got the, the thick cover, you know, if you've got that visual screen, it really makes a big difference to cut distance. And like we keep saying, like, that's where, you know, in that situation, it's definitely working in your favor. Now for getting shots off, it's not, you're not going to probably get, you know, a 40 plus yard bomb at an elk, but you know, that's it, not uh, bad we've, either. We've done it. We've done it. I mean, a hundred percent like that. And I think for a solo guy, like you always have this dream to like call the bull to you. Mm-hmm. And there, there might be a point where it's like this, this bull is not going to come in, but I can sneak in there and get him killed. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, and I think you have to use all your senses solo hunting, mm-hmm. you know, where, all your skill sets it's mm-hmm. like if if there's an event if there's an opportunity to get sneak in there and get them killed then sneak in there and get them killed same i mean i it's interesting like turkey hunting i've always been like hardcore like i'm only killing this gobbler doing this well case in point last year eric and i knew this gobbler was not coming in he was going to be over the lip and i'm like we gotta crawl him we got to crawl on him and we did and got him killed. Like, yeah. you, you know, we would not have killed him if we would not have made that extra 10, 15 yard crawl up mm-hmm. to the point where we could get him killed. And yeah. same goes. And when you're solo, it's like, you've got one, you know, one set of boots, minimal movement. Like you can go into ninja mode and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, the, the, like, you can use that sound that they're making just like a turkey gobbling. You can use that bugle to help you make the decision, right? It's like, boom, he bugles. It's like, if I move right now, like I know probably for the next few seconds, even he's going to be pretty busy bugling, right? Like I know, and I don't know, it sounds silly, but like when I'm turkey hunting, I'm, I like know, I can visualize what a turkey's doing just based off of listening to, you know, him drumming or, you know, him walking or him gobbling. It's like you can kind of make little micro moves just based off of that. And same thing with the bugle. If he's bugling over the edge, every time he does it, it's just like confirmation that he's right there and you can continue to make your next advancement towards that sound. I just watched a video um, a couple nights ago. It was from Eastman's and um, they were hunting and they were calling to this bull and he was hung up they were in very open um like burn area so the elk could see a long way and it was just it was interesting because they got to a point where he started just working away from them and they didn't want to call anymore because they felt like um he could see too much and they eventually just kind of switched gears within the hunt they went from calling to just straight stalking because that made more sense in that situation. They could use his bugle. He was bugling a lot on his own. So they yeah. just kept using that to their advantage. And it's like, you know, again, when you have like more tools in the toolbox, 
depending on what hunting situation is thrown at you, you just pull out that, you know, that different tactic, that slightly different tactic. And I think it's always just a, a, a fun balance to, um, try different stuff in different situations because not every situation there's no perfect way of doing this there's just like these little things everyone looks everyone looks for like okay let's get out the playbook okay page one zach says locate bugle okay i'm gonna (laughs) locate bugle he responded okay i go to the chart he responded what next check the wind you know i mean yeah there's there's some like checklists that we go through but everything is so situational Mm -hmm. and so different and you just have to have experience in order to be like, okay, this, this has played out in the past. This bull's not coming in. All right. But he's bugling all the time. He's with cows. Like I'm going to slip in there and get him killed that way. Or no, this bull's by himself for sure. He's making a charging move down the ridge. Like we're going to get him called in and killed. Um, the one, the one other scenario I want to talk about is what if a bull hangs up? Like you're calling, you're in a good spot. You you went quiet. The bull came. He's 70, 80 yards away. He can see. He stops. He still bugles maybe on his own a couple times. And then he loses interest and moves off. And this is actually like one of my favorite tactics to employ. I'm whether to say a very successful at it, mixed reviews. But um, what I would do is let him move off call, turn it down, bring that volume down, but have the ability to like, I'm going to sprint 30, 40 yards. And what, what, what typically I've seen, and this is where I've seen it more is when team calling, um, that bull's going to come back to the exact same spot and look, it was like, Oh, you are still over there. Okay. And he's going to come standing like within feet probably of where he last was, you have to move to where he can, where you can get him killed at that spot. So it's like, give him some time, let him get off the lip. It might be a minute, two minutes. You, it could be 10. You, yeah, it could be 10. Yeah, you bugle, and all of a sudden he fires up again. He's coming back. You sprint as fast and as quiet as possible. Get to that spot where you can get him killed at that point um, is, is another good one to look at. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an awesome tactic in any calling situation. I mean, exactly what you're talking about there is – I was talking about the buck that Jake killed. Same thing. Literally the same exact thing. We went right to where he had come over the lip of the ridge the last time we saw him, and we went right to that spot, and it ended up being 15 yards in our lap. Like, perfect. Were you calling at that deer? We weren't calling at him, but we were moving through the woods, and he, I mean, it was November 11th, and he thought every other buck in the woods is out to get him and his doe, so he he was playing pretty defensive. So. We weren't calling, but we were calling, you know. Right, right. And yeah. um, I think that when when they have that, like, safe spot, especially if you're not changing the, the um, location you're calling from, right? If you move up, if, you, if he works off, then you move up and call, he's going to do the same thing at a different spot, that same right. distance more, you know, for more or less. He's going to get to that same 70, 80 yards. He's going to stop. He's going to look over there and he feels safe there. But if you call from that same spot and immediately make that move to cut that distance, now he still thinks you're over there. He's yep. probably going to come back to that same spot. And if you can shoot it, exactly. then you're probably in good yep. shape. One thing one, yeah. one thing I wanted to ask about, I guess before I forget, is 
the um, use what got you there. That's something yeah. that I think like. I think us newbies that watch Born and Raised videos are like, dude, we're going to run around the woods and bugle, and eventually one's going to come to point blank. And, like, that, I mean, to be honest, I know that's, like, when I look at the evolution. Yeah. Yeah, and I look at the evolution of, like, my experience, and I realize, like, now being, going into, I like to think of it as my senior year. This is my fourth year of elk hunting. Like okay. how much more I know about the different situations and how different it can look to call to, you know, an elk, just depending on all these different factors we've been talking about. But when I first hunted with you, that situation was almost 100% dark timber. And we were just moving through the woods trying to get one to respond with with a bugle. And for the most part, that's what we kept doing was maybe a little cow calling mixed in, but bugling. And I think that when we see that as less experienced elk hunters, we think that like that's the only thing that that works is like, well, the born and raised guys are tromping through the woods, just bugling all the time. Like that's 100 percent what's going to work for us. So. I, even last year, and we, we had a conversation about this like re- really recently, I felt like last year, every single time we were just going in, guns blazing, blasting bugles, <laughs> like right out of the gate to these bedded elk that we, that we already knew were in these locations, which differs from what we were doing when we're trying to get a response in like monotonous yeah, timber. Yeah, yeah, totally different. So talk a little bit about the, the using what gets you there and like how, you know. Yeah. I mean, so it's like fishermen, right? You got a tackle box, you got plugs, you got spinners, you got bait, you got all these tools. And I think, you know, yeah, the, the buzz bait at daylight, the bugle, like that's going to get response majority of the time. Um, but as you go through, you kind of need to pull into that pull that drawer open, grab a different one. Um, so if a bull responds, like our soundbite, our external cow call, like he responds to that, like keep using that until it doesn't. And then, you know, it's not like, uh, well, he's bugling. I want to bugle. Well, no, he's responding to like this cow that he thinks he can breed. And then all of a sudden it may be a, a satellite bull or something else. Um, all of a sudden you represent a threat that could shut him down instantly just because you wanted a bugle at him. Like, so if he's screaming to your bugle, like don't all of a sudden like, Oh, I need to cow call to make it sound like a herd. No, they're, they might be in that, uh, establishing dominance phase. Like they might not be coming to fight, but like they're going to come size you up and check you out. And all of a sudden you got 20 cows with him. It's like, no, that's, that's Dwayne over there. That's the big dog. I'm staying out of this, you know, so you, you gotta, you gotta stick with what's working. And if it's, um, using all of them at the same time and the, like the excitement side of it, then you go with that. It's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's tough to say like only bugle, only cow call, only mix call. Like it, it's all situational, but if he's responding to something like don't all of a sudden just introduce something out of the blue and I'm going to challenge bugle him, you know, like challenge bugles where it's at. It might just honestly just make him hit the brakes. Like, wait a second. And I will say just from my own experience, especially if a bull's got cows, cow calls 
can definitely spook a herd. Like you making a cow call, all of a sudden those cows are like, no, nope, I want I want Dwayne to come with me because I don't want him get breeding other cows. Like it's it's the same with a hen, right? Like they're henned up and, you know, anyway. Some, so Yeah, some and some hens want to go to other hens. Some hens hate it and they don't want to come around another right. hen at all and they just move yeah, right away move or they ignore yeah. it completely. Yeah. yeah, so, but I would say like we've had elk where we knew where they were at. He's bugling to our bugle and it's like, I'm going to throw the, the old just sluttiest cow call out here, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. just to get – and then all of a sudden, like every cow in the herd's like, whoop, nope, mm-hmm. herd's gone. And you're just like, dang it, why'd we do that? Yeah. Like, that was stupid. Um, so go with what got you there. If he's responding, keep playing those strings. Um, so serenade him that way. I think that also break down what habitat and terrain cover type you're hunting in, right? Because I think about um, our experience hunting together in Colorado, I think about all the experience you guys have out in the thickest, nastiest timber in Oregon. And when you look at those situations, it's like your little, you know, diaphragm cow call really isn't traveling that far. So as far as like locating an elk with this, you're probably not doing it as much as you are with a bugle. So in those situations, you're casting, you know, a bigger net to get that initial location. So therefore, what got you there more frequently is the bugle if you're in that thick timber. But then you got other guys that, and and, and like, I just think it's, it's silly to say one way or another. Now, this is also from, you know, you got to keep it in mind going into year four elk hunter, but I think it's silly to say, well, you should never call to elk or to say on the other hand that you can only call to elk. It's like, again, it's a, it's a. It's a tackle box, right? You got all these right. different lures. Yeah. So just be okay with that. Because on the other hand, it's like if you're watching the herd bed down, it's like you might as well stalk in there. Yeah, by all means. Yeah. If they're in the wide yeah. open and you see exactly where they're bedded, it's like I wouldn't go into a bedded buck and go grunting around. trying. You know, if he's bedded in the wide open, I'm going to stalk in there and try to get within bow range of his bed. Same thing yeah. with an elk. And I just think that if you break down like your habitat – your terrain that you're hunting in, it's going to help you kind of make those decisions and kind of get that ball rolling in the first place. And, you know, there's just no, there's no, again, like one way of doing it. It just depends on the situation. Now I do have a question. Like I'm going to try to throw a situation here now. It's not, it's probably still going to be like, well, it depends, but like, let's say you are, moving in on an elk, you know, you know, he's there, he's, he's responded and maybe he's just bugling on his own, which, which last year, that's what happened to us a lot. We were just like moving in on a herd that was making enough noise that we knew they were there. So it's middle of the day. We haven't called to him yet. Move in, you get to, you know, kind of that where you're starting to feel like, okay, we're getting pretty dang close here. A couple hundred yards. What do you start with? middle of the day so i mean this uh was actually like another top in the net close so you've paused for a sec we say that again uh so like 
Yeah, and I was talking about the, our other tactic of the cat road shuffle, like which is us just hiking and moving. Mm-hmm. We start with a small net, right? You, you do that soft cow call because you never know. Like all of a sudden, there is an elk right there. He may have heard you back a long ways away, but he didn't respond. Mm-hmm. And you know, a couple soft cow calls. All of a sudden, you hear a stick break or he chuckles or you know some side of it. So. I'm not always just walking up and as loud as I can, the very first bugle, like I'm just screaming from every location, start soft, quiet, build, build, you know, and then you start bumping out that net. It travels a little bit further. You get a little bit louder, you get a little bit more aggressive. And he may have heard you do this same thing through while you're moving in like this, you know, and then bull sound check, like it's coolest thing is being, I've been in some situations where all of a sudden like a herd comes up over a finger ridge and you hear the cows, you hear the, they're talking, all of a sudden that bull, like, he bugles into that basin or that drainage, like, where are you at, boys? Just want to know. It might, it's not a threatening deal, but it's like, they're just using that vocal communication at that point. Um, so, it, like, I don't feel like what we do is wrong in that sense of calling too much because elk naturally do that. So, agreed, agreed. Yeah, you start small, you may not get a response until all of a sudden you do bugle. And he may only be 150 yards, but that like in, invoked it. So then, um, so I would say, don't just, if you walk into that bedding area and you let out just the nart, like the first call you make is this gnarly lip ball chuckle extended back into a second bugle, like probably not the play to do. Like all of a sudden they're just like, whoa, because you've been quiet right now. You may have called in at, the whole time and that might be appropriate but if you are like dead quiet the whole way and you're just sneaking in knowing that these elk are bedded chances are start soft s- small and then build to where you need to with like a cow call or something yeah yeah exactly yeah with a cow call i would the mouth you know use the easy cow or whatever else and just meow, meow, meow. give it just a bit yeah a little bit louder Grab an external, grab a two-tone, carry that out a little bit more, nothing. Soft bedded bugle. Just mm-hmm. quiet. You know, and, and we're usually impatient. Like when we're covering, it's like we don't get a response within the first minute. We keep hiking. Um, wrong, right, or indifferent. That's just how we do it. But um, yeah, so if they're bedded, you gotta, you gotta you can't just all of a sudden come in there and break dance in the circle. Like you have to like start. I mean, we always talk about the dance. It's like you have to build the slow and then all of a sudden the beat drops and then maybe you're break dancing in the center of this whole thing, but take your time building that you can't just, and I know I mean, we talked, like I said, this was a couple of weeks ago. We got on and you said like every time we just kept doing the same thing and it didn't work. And we're just like, ah, crap. That was, that was pretty stupid. Yeah. So, well, and I'm watching yeah. it, so it's funny because we I was speaking off of memory, and it's like I was halfway lying to myself as I watch it back now. I'm like, dang, dude, like we really were so aggressive. Like why not toss a cow call out there to start? Like here we've – and basically what was happening was is we were putting ourselves in a position where we would hear these elk, and we didn't even have to do anything. Like maybe like from way out, like so long ago that I honestly would say that they had forgotten about that bugle for the m- most part. Like maybe we start but with a bugle from so far away and we get this response. Well, it might be a mile away. And once we've located them now, we're staying in 
earshot of that spot. So we kind of just keep tabs on them throughout the morning. Well, if, if they're doing it for us, you know, we don't have to keep bugling our right. way in to keep yeah. locating them. So we would just go silent. But then all of a sudden now we're like, I mean, you know, in serious striking distance and they're still bugling and we're still sneaking into that spot. And then all of a sudden we go from having snuck in there, making no noise to now we're bugling in his face. And pretty much every time he'd just round him up and take off. It, it, it does scare me, honestly, like going silent, trying to move in on them. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like to have, and especially if they're bedded, like and they're stationary. Everyone says, you know, like, Oh, I got on a bull right after daylight and he just kept pushing his cows away. Well, he's not pushing his cows away. They're going to bed. Like mm-hmm. they, you're trying to turn them around and call from the feeding area wherever, you know, maybe they're already in the transition zone or maybe they're close to bedding and you're like, Oh, he wouldn't come in and they give up on him instead of like stay in earshot. Maybe you do have to be able to keep them going to where then you pinpoint them and like, yep, they're bedded. But sneaking in on like, knowing maybe you visually saw them go into this little tiny timber pocket. They didn't go out. It's 10 AM. Like they're bedded there. I get nervous about sneaking in quietly. It's, it's, it's a like catch 22, 50, 50. If you sneak in quietly, you may get them killed. If you call your way into them, they may bump out. Like you, you never know. Um, but I do more often than not, probably call more coming in because you're going to be making noise. Mm -hmm. You're going to, you know, it's like, it's still an elk Mm -hmm. that's coming into that bedding zone. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to, to move with some sound. Well, and again, I think it kind of plays into like, I, I, I just, I visualize the different areas that I've hunted and it's like when you're on this big flat bench, for example, or you're in this like, um, just timber that you can't see very far in in general and you're just moving through and every you know every couple hundred yards or every quarter mile you come across some more bedding sign so it's like they could be bedded here they could be bedded 400 yards that way 400 yards that way 900 yards that like you don't know right and right and and it's not as it's not as consistent where like if you're in more broken habitat where there's patches of pines for example and then sage in between like you can kind of guess that they're in those specific spots. It's a little bit different. You can strategically hunt those, you know, it's, it's just like the difference between hunting a whitetail in the mountains of like Virginia versus where you've got solid timber versus hunting whitetails in Iowa, where you've got broken patches of cover. Well, now everything just gets shrunk down, right? You're right. like, yeah. they have to be in these patches of cover. They're not going to be out in the cut bean field. They're not going to be out in the cut yeah. corn field. They have to right. be in this cover. So it's the same thing when you're talking about elk bedding habitat. It's like some areas are just nothing but bedding cover. They could literally plop down like in so many different places. There's other places where they ha- you know, they almost have to be in these little patches of cover. So you're going to play those two situations probably a lot different. And, you know, if you, if you got the visual or, you know, you can hear exactly where they go. I think that just, that makes for a little bit of a, 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 I shouldn't say a a little bit. I mean, quite a different strategy than if you're just going through monotonous timber, trying to get a response, you know, I think, I think those styles 
are just, they're going to call, it's going to call for a different style in different situation like that, different habitat and terrain. And I, I feel like it's just, uh, again, that's just one of those things where experience is going to help in that, like just getting more reps, you know? And I think, so I got, go ahead. I got another one that's on my list. Um, and I figured this out, like, I don't know, early 2012, 13, 10, somewhere in there is this bark scream, bark chuckle. Actually a guy from work was like, you've never bark screamed at a bull. I'm like, no, it's like, and he told me about it. And, and I used the term bark. Like, uh, I, I did a webinar with elk nut the other night and he, he calls it as a, a nervous grunt, mm-hmm. you know? So, cause a bark is like, yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily like busted bark, cow barks, whole herd takes off. It's, it's what they're looking for is a visual confirmation of like, okay, I'm over here. Where are you at? I want to see you present yourself. You know, there's a, you guys just posted a video. It's such a sweet video. I think I just saw it on, I mean, I think I've seen the hunt probably somewhere else too, but a snippet on Instagram, look at born and raised. If you're listening to this, look at born and born and raised Instagram for this. There's an elk. He comes in. I think it's a Roosevelt. It looks like Roosevelt country. He comes in and he stops and he's broadside and he just goes, like bark so loud. And you guys filmed it. It was so cool. So if you're wondering what a bark is, if you can find that clip, like that is, that is it. That is such a cool clip. But anyway. And now, yeah, no. And the case in point, he broke over that finger ridge. There's a whole draw in between us. Trevor was a shooter that night. Trent was filming. And it was like, present yourself. And he shot him seconds later. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, and that, exactly that. And I, I actually used this in 2020. Granted, I had a callers, but at that point, the herd had broke. And I just ran. Like, I just stayed with the elk. And next thing you know, those guys are like four or 500 yards behind me. They didn't even know where I was at. Like mm-hmm. I was just, I was like in kill mode of just, I'm staying with these elk. And I got a bull. There was like, the big herd was up to my left and I could hear a couple other bulls down to my right. And so I'm just like playing intercept and they were coming off this private ground, going to bed. And it was uh, mid morning, like eight o'clock or something. And I got that bull fired up and he comes in and I hear him. Like and it was a bunch of rocks, so I could hear his hooves, and it, like I go to draw, and the rock stopped. Like he didn't see me, but he just was like, "Okay, where are you at?" And I, I'm just like, I screwed up. I drew too early, but I'm like, I'm scared to let down because he's a couple yards from where he's gonna come out in the open. It's just thick oak brush, and I'm holding draw, and I remember like dropping down like just locked my arm. I just like put my bow down still at full draw. And I, it was two and a half minutes or something. He finally walked out and I go to pick up my arm and I'm not a strong, like my upper body. I'm, I'm long and gangly, you know, I'm not, I'm not gym bound, you know, (laughs) pumping iron. And I go to pick up my bow and it feels like there's someone hanging off of my arm, like a hundred, 200 pound guy. Like I can't pick up my bow. I'm shaking. And I get my pin like close to him. And I just remember, do not pull the trigger. Like yeah. telling myself, like, I, this is, this is, do not do this. You're going to make a bad shot. And I was shaking so bad. And I finally like just full collapse. Like I didn't get a, sh- you know, I couldn't get on him. Bow comes down, bull whirls gone. And I'm like deflated, like seriously deflated. 
And then this is the case in point. Like if an elk doesn't smell you, the game is not over. And the bull ran up and he barked at me and I instantly grabbed my tube, barked, screamed right back at him with a fast chuckle. And he just instantly fired right back up. You know, he saw something, but he didn't know exactly what it was. He saw movement. He was looking for an elk, saw movement, gone. And instantly he came right back to the same spot and I shot him. Like, and so that bark scream, bark chuckles, like the confirmation, like, and not a lot of people do this sound. So I, I don't think that like, even if you're in a heavily pressured area, you're not going to come moving in on a bull and bark scream. But if he barks, like looking for confirmation, you engage him with that same language. It's like, oh, you are an elk. Okay. Yep this is happening you know mm-hmm. so that's another one uh sound to, to look for and like for for listeners here it's on our youtube um we actually used it during our calling video that we just did during elk week and then uh if you look back in 2020 land of the free three when i'm in new mexico um it's like an hour long video you can kind of skip through some of that stuff but there is a point that this bull does exactly what i'm talking about and you're like as soon as you hear it <coughs> Yep. Yep. That's it. <laughs> that's a bark scream. <laughs> and and the bark chuckle, generally speaking, is like a super fast chuckle followed yeah. with it. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's. So, oh yeah. man. Oh, when you hear that too, son. Oh. Son. It's so awesome. Sun come up. <laughs> sun come up. Yeah, dude. That. I mean. I feel like that's the difference a little bit between like a, a turkey or a deer and an elk is they can see something and, and the game is not over by any means, especially if you relocate just slightly. Like when we've been talking about doing some of these, like, but even then, like in this situation you're talking about, I've watched that video a bunch, like that elk totally just comes right back to the same exact spot. You guys don't do anything yep. other than make that sound. But like there might be a situation where you make just a slight adjustment. And like the one that uh, comes to mind from last year where I feel like had we made a little adjustment, like um, in the whole encounter, the whole scene of the, the day that Jake shot the elk last year, what got that going was a bump. We actually bumped the elk, like a, a elk. I, I would assume cows, I, after talking with Jake about it again, he really thinks that it was cows because he saw something move, you know, move away. Yeah. I didn't, and I was just behind him filming. But because of that, I think it was holding that elk up. I think it was kind of had him like just at 50 yards where he wouldn't kind of break that last little bit. Yeah. And we were just starting to make the decision that we could relocate slightly and probably get him to feel more comfortable because the wind was so perfect. Like that, that was, well, that's one thing that's super important about all this is the wind was always just right in our face. Like it was, you couldn't ask for a more consistent, just smell in that barnyard. Just oh, perfect. <sighs> perfect. And, um, I think had we, we, we ended up shooting a different elk that came in, um, off to the side, like, you know, satellite, mm-hmm. whatever, what, I mean, a different elk. And, um, had he not come in, I honestly feel so confident that we still would have killed that bull. Had we just made another little move? Like, I think one thing that 
you know, us newbie guys have to break through a little bit is not getting froze in your tracks, like not getting stuck right here. Like, don't be afraid to move yeah. a little bit. Now, obviously be smart about it. If you can see 150 yards, he can see 150 yards. But if you can only see 40, 20, 10, like so can he. So it's like right. move through that cover, you know, don't be afraid to like go with the flow a little bit. You know, it's so easy to get stuck. And I think that I had with with so much more experience with deer and turkey, I have passed that long ago where I'm not afraid to just like be super aggressive in the right moment. But with elk, I definitely know now looking back on that year of 2019, I was stuck in the mud a lot where I should have been making these little micro adjustments. And I think that, you know, we, we have this fear when we're new to something like that, that like, we're going to mess it up. We're like, okay, you've shot plenty of bulls. Your buddies have shot plenty of bulls. You know, your guys that you, 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 um, have hunted with for years, your hunting group, you guys got, you guys are confident, man. Like you walk into it and you got a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You're like, hell yeah, we're going to kill this bull. Like no problem. Yeah. And like you make those moves because you're not afraid of failure because you know, you're yes. going to put yourself into that situation again. Even if you do fail today, tomorrow, you're going to walk into it with the same attitude. You're going to get him. And with deer, I have that with Turkey. I have, I have that so much, but with elk, I'm just like, just starting to get there because it's new to me. And, you know, some, for someone that's new to it or, you know, doesn't have like an influence that has been doing it for a long time, it can feel like killing an elk is like, a once in a lifetime you're never gonna like you're gonna get one and that's it you're never even gonna get right, another chance right. so like because of that it creates this fear to be aggressive and you kind of I, I mean I'm, I'm sitting here saying it but it's not easy I recognize no it's and, not and I think the hardest part too is like I grew up elk hunting in the elk woods like literally my first elk hunt that I went tagged along with my dad I was nine years old saw an elk in bow range the very first day i ever went hunting then went like years without seeing one you know (laughs) so um and i think the thing too is you know you take a vacation you drive across the country you have 10 days to hunt or maybe it's only eight by the time you've Mm -hmm. got travel time and all that you may only get one elk encounter and you screw it up and then it's like the next year you come out or the next time you're like i remember that time I was trying to be aggressive. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to slow play this thing. And, and then the elk moves off and you give up on it. Like it's very challenging. It, it all comes down to time in the field experience. Um, you know, I, I wholeheartedly, I think the one thing that I can say is make a decision and do it. Don't mm-hmm. like, Oh, what if, and you start playing Don't all these things and then you freeze and you're like, take all your hunting experience in the wind's good. You know, he's, he's in his bed. Like I can make movements. I can get in there close. So I can start calling him in. Like, don't, like you said, don't like start second guessing yourself. It's like, that's your gut. Make it like, if it is a mistake, figure out what you did wrong, learn from it yeah, and move on to the next Or And two, I think a lot of people give up early on an elk. I think that was, that's the one critical is like, Oh, he just same case. I got on him in the morning. He was bugling his head off. He shut up at nine o'clock, eight, 
nine o'clock. So I went back to camp. He started bugling again at five when I got back in there. Like you gave yourself away how many hours, like hunt every single minute of legal life. Mm -hmm. If you can mm -hmm. be, put yourself in the game as much as possible. Don't just be like, well, it's hot out. The elk aren't out moving. I think the, you know, I think it's critical. Like people, I don't know how many times it's like, we're traveling to do a new area and you're driving around and it's noon. How many people are standing in camp BS and like, if you want to go on a camp trip, go on a camp trip. Don't go on. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like Cody with the hard truth. If you want to go camping, yeah. go camping. <laughs> it's so true though. You're you right. Give yourself every possible chance yeah. you can. Like mm -hmm. just because the elk aren't on their feet doesn't mean you can't get them killed. Like I would actually prefer 11 AM to 2 PM. Like, Hands down, most of the, we've killed them from daylight to dark. But we, it seems like a lot of those elk we've killed have been midday. Yeah. Like it, it's, um, yeah. And I think this all like to wrap it up for me on my side. Like mindset is critical for success. Like you have, especially solo hunting. Like you don't have the support system when you're there, but you also don't have the hunting buddy that wants to quit on day four. So like, if you know that like your buddy Paul that wants to come with you. He, he's been known to like, Hey, I got, I got to go home. Even though you've planned this for a year. Like if that's the case, like, no, I'm going on my own. I'm, I'm doing this. Um, I met a guy a couple of years ago in Colorado, 2018. And his story was awesome. Like he had this hunt plan with his buddy, literally like the week before the trips going, his buddy's like, ah, oh, man, like I, I just can't make this happen. And he's like, his name's Tra Travis. He's from, I think he's from Wisconsin. Dushing. Of course he is. Great. Yeah, great <laughs> I would, dude. I, was, I always make fun of Wisconsin guys because they're so into hunting. I just pick on yeah. them for it. <laughs> uh, great dude. Anyways, like met him on the trail and he drove out on his own, picked a spot on the map. He was going deep, like back on his back. And it was so inspiring. Like I sat there and cried with him <laughs> on the mountain because I'm like inspired by this guy. I have never done that. Oh, yeah. Like I talk at the game about all this, like. I've never gone on a solo backpack trip for elk. Like that's scary. Like yeah. it's huge. But you, if if you like commit, like I'm doing this, I'm investing the time, I'm investing the money. Like I'm gonna go enjoy this. Like have the never quit attitude. Mm -hmm. Understand that it's success at the end of the day may not be punching that tag, but like going and putting the time in the encounters. That when you come back next time, maybe it is with a buddy the next time. But you're like, hey, I've had this. <coughs> I've had this experience here's what I think we should do. Like take the charge, lead it and go have fun. But yeah. mental fortitude, like dude, it's really easy to be like, man, that beer at the truck is pretty, it's going to be pretty good. Or that cheeseburger in town. Like you start talking about it to mm -hmm. yourself or thinking about it. Like you're going to lead yourself down the, I'm going to quit early. Yeah. And I would just encourage you if you're going to go do it, like stay committed to it from beginning to end. Yeah. And I'll throw like one little one one little thing in it for the end here too. It's like there's a lot of times when I'm talking with people, they're like, you know, how how do you like how do you start like what how do you start deer hunting off the ground? It's like you just start doing it. You know, one it's foot like the other. yeah, it's like to be honest, I don't even really know. Like there's so many things I didn't know, and there's so many times I got frozen in the situation too. But it's like 
the best thing that you can do is throw worry out the window, man. Like, just don't care about, like, the mistakes because you're going to make mistakes. I mean, here here I am on a streak of, like, these little micro mistakes in bow hunting where it's just like, yeah, I mean, like, those have cost me and, like, a couple, like, some pretty memorable mistakes that I've made. But, like, you know, I've also had a lot of success because, like, you, you can't worry about those things. You learn from yeah. your mistakes you go with your gut and then you just like go have fun and not worry about it. Oh man, that's the biggest bull or that's the biggest buck. That's the biggest Tom. Like that's, I'm ever going to see. It's like, no, it's not like go hunt him, go use your gut and then you're going to get another chance. It doesn't matter if yeah. it's the biggest bull or buck you've ever seen. Like, man, I, there's always something bigger. There's always going to be another experience. And you know, the worst thing you can do is just like, not go for it i think so i i gotta tie into something about that like size of the animal and how you freeze so last year hunting roosevelt saw one of the biggest roosevelt's I've ever seen first week of season we screwed up we didn't credit this bull for what it was gonna be and we're like oh it's just a rag bull he didn't sound big like we kind of went in at half cocked didn't really make a good plan and then all of a sudden he popped out and we're like holy ah, <laughs> thing is giant and he stood at 150 yards looking for us because we instead of taking the extra time and making the movement up the draw and popping out where we should have we're like oh we'll just call him in across his face nope probably a ding. and then <laughs> so the next day we got on him again we spotted him right at daylight and we just froze and be like oh we don't want to screw this up so we dropped over the ridge and hung out for four hours till the wind changed whereas like knowing what i know now on that terrain like we could have made moves on that bull and put ourselves in the game earlier. We couldn't turn him up. Like he disappeared on us till the last week of season. And then, yeah, it's just like, like we froze just because he was big. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't make the decision. We were scared to screw it up. It's like, shoot, we screw it up. Like there's going to be a rag bull maybe that we get killed and that's going to feed my family for the year yeah. versus, well, you know, and it's also so, like, it's also like, uh, I was talking to Ben about this the other night. It's like, I sometimes get in my head where I'm hunting this, especially with deer, like elk. I haven't, I haven't done this yet, but with deer, I get in this mindset where I'm like, I'm in the area of a big buck. So then I like treat it with this. Um, and this is something I've only done for like two years. I treat it like tiptoeing around the edge. It's like, dude, if he's in there, go to the best spot, hunt it. If he's, if he's not there, there's going to be another big buck somewhere. Like right. trust your gut to get you to that spot and it's going to be okay. So, yeah, no, it's good stuff. But yeah, dude, we're like, uh, 16 days away from season right now. Freaking out, man. I know like, I'm, I'm less than that from pronghorn. So just, yeah, I got to finish up the editing and the, organization and all that but it'll be here before we yeah. know it and then we can actually relax <laughs> yeah in a weird the way one thing that we're we're i'm really excited on we're doing something with the channel this year and the podcast and we're doing weekly update like blog the rut report is what we're yeah. calling it like for the podcast like what's going on in our neck of the woods where we're at what we're seeing what the elk are doing sharing little tidbits like i'm super excited instead of like holding all this information till November when it doesn't apply to anyone. Like <laughs> every week we're putting up, here's yeah. what's going on. Here's what happened. Sweet. Um, yeah. And I'm you excited. guys also just did elk week, which has been phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Like we did five days, five videos. We did calling, 
we did shot placement or shot angles. Um, we did the do's and don'ts. We did a, a gear dump. And then we did like just straight up porn porn, 20 minutes, 20 pulls. <laughs> I loved like, it. Loved it. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to, if you just want to like get fired up for elk season, go watch that video. Yeah. It's like, that's, yeah. that's, they're, they're, well, and they're all like super helpful. I, I watched all of them, I think. And it's just, you know, it's going to help. You can always take, like, even if you think you know everything, I mean, which I shouldn't say, I think I know everything, but it's like, oh, you know, like, I feel like I know what they're going to talk about. I watch it and there's still like little things that I can, you know, be like, yeah, I'm going to apply that here. Or I'm going to take this little piece of knowledge. And like, I just think that even if, even if you've been and you're experienced and you have like your own way of doing things, it doesn't hurt to like check something else out and hear somebody else's perspective because there might be like these little tips and tricks that you guys are doing that, um, that you, you know, you're not doing and it can help. I mean, I, I definitely like took some things away from that shot placement video. And I mean, I think that's a, a really, really important topic. And you guys have an awesome platform for people that are trying to learn more about elk hunting. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it fun. goes without yeah. saying like check out born and raised, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Zach. It's, uh, actually my buddy, John, that I used to work with the, the boat, the boat shop Waldron's, he was texting me yesterday and I'm like, yeah, I just got the phone with Zach. He's like, dude, dude, Zach, Ted and Warp are my absolute favorite. <laughs> like they, he loves you guys. Cause you're just like straight up killers. <laughs> There's no fluff. It's like, use what you got, go out there, go do it, go get it done. Like you, you don't have to have everything, but you got to have a tag. You got to have a bow in your hand and you got to go learn and go kill. And he just, he loves you guys. So awesome. I just thought I'd throw that in. Awesome. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, thanks for like podcasting with me on short notice. It, like, literally, like I said, guys, literally watched this video last night. Woke up this morning and was like, "Let's podcast about this." Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I know. I love appreciate it. it. I, I'm, uh, I'm stoked on the opportunity and be looking for the your guys' deer tour. Your elk footage is dropping, so yeah, it's all on deck. Yeah, I better get back to that. So <laughs> sounds good, brother. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.